In the early 1800s, traveling in America was not enjoyable. There weren't very many roads, and the ones we had were rough. So a lot of our travel was done on rivers if you were lucky enough to live by one. But then a revolutionary idea came up. What if we built our own major pathways for transportation? A 363-mile-long man-made canal was dug that connected New York City to Lake Erie. For reference, that's more than the width of California. More than the width of the United Kingdom, actually. And you have to remember, they didn't have fancy construction equipment like we do today. So it was practically dug by hand, made with simple machines and some dynamite here and there. It took eight years and more than 9,000 workers to build. But the result, dubbed the Erie Canal, was well worth it. Products could now easily be shipped far away from their place of origin, which broadened the scope of local economies. And Americans now had an easier way to move from the East Coast into the Midwest and beyond. Welcome to the Reconnecting Roots podcast, where we dive deep into unique stories and aspects of American history and culture that are often overlooked by framing the future through the past. I'm your host, Ryan Estabrooks. I'm Gabe McCauley, host of the TV series Reconnecting Roots, which is currently airing on a PBS station near you or available to watch on reconnectingroots.com. I'll be your guide throughout our story today. I'll be out in the field, talking and learning from people all across America. And today, we're looking at how innovations in travel changed our country and, well, really the whole world. We'll chat with my good friend, Michaela, from the PBS TV series, Bare Feet with Michaela Malozzi. What I think we are trying to talk about is the access to global cultures influencing each other and almost this disappearance of borders happening today. We'll hear about the golden age of airlines from Anthony Toth and Talat Kapton. In the old days, you know, the journey was the big deal, sure. not the destinations. And we'll look at the future of Hyperloop travel with Bebop Gresta. We'll be in a amazing future when we are not losing half of our life in things that we are basically not efficient. I think it's easy to overlook how much a place can be influenced by travel. There's a reason why so many big cities in America were built on ports or rivers back in the day. People like going to places that are easy to travel to, plain and simple, no matter the method of transportation. There were cities that became popular because there was a train station built there. And even now, there are towns made exclusively around highways because it's easy for people to hit the exit and bam, you're there. So travel isn't just about the fancy cars, subways, or buses we take to get around. It's about society and culture being shaped by our ability to move. Constructed to perfection, responsibly built for the long haul. Taylor Stitch has taken over 10 years of feedback and is doubling down on their commitment to building the best possible clothing while pledging to limit their environmental impact. 
From fiber to fabric to factory to end to functionality, Taylor Stitch has grown from a need for products without limitations that could handle chopping wood, surf sessions, snagging trout, or simply heading to the office. On top of making the world's best apparel, they're asking questions about how they can protect wild forever. And as a Reconnecting Roots listener, use the code Reconnecting Roots. That's Reconnecting Roots, all one word, for 25% off all products, one use per customer. That offer is valid through July 2021. Taylor Stitch makes some outstanding clothing. How do I know? Because I wear it. I have some. And without a doubt, every time I'm sporting a jacket, a shirt, I get compliments. It looks good on me, so I know it'll look great on you. Taylor Stitch. I wake up every morning to two things. One, my lovely bride, and two, a cup of Mule Town coffee. It's just good, for goodness sake. Steep, sip, enjoy. Making good coffee has never been easier than with Mule Town coffee's new steeped packs. Whether you're rushing to get kids out the door, traveling abroad, or out hiking the trails. Mule Town Steep Packs are easy to carry, easy to brew, and ready wherever you are. Just add hot water. Visit MuleTownCoffee.com to order Steep Packs today. And as always, have a good one from everyone at Mule Town Coffee. Now through July 31st, 2021, customers will get 20% off Steep Packs when they use coupon code STEEPITUP. S-T-E-E-P-I-T-U-P. All one word, Steep It Up. And if you're wondering out there, is it really that easy? Can I really just go to a website, say I want coffee, and it'll be delivered to my door just whenever I run out? Yeah, it is. I know because I've done it. Mule Town Coffee. Good for goodness sake. Reconnecting Roots has some new friends we can't seem to shake. I mean, you know those guys. They crash on your couch, drink all your booze, and clutter the sink with leftover bowls of ramen. Earl and Craig host a PBS show called The Good Road with a companion podcast called Philanthropology. That's right, Philanthropology. They travel a ton around the world and seek out cool people who are change makers and tell their stories. Check them out at thegoodroad.tv where you can jump to their podcast and info about the show. But I will warn you, if you connect with them, they will ask if they can crash on your couch. They've done it to me. Earl and Craig really have become good friends of ours. They're such fun people with great hearts, and their TV show, The Good Road, and Philanthropology, the podcast, are worth checking out. Their show's about people doing good. We could all stand to see and hear about more of that. The Good Road with Craig and Earl. Check them out. I feel like the road trip is a quintessential American cultural thing. It's kind of like this classic thing that's embedded in us. And yet, because cars are still somewhat of a relatively new thing, you know, hasn't been around super long. Right. You got to think the road trip is at least as much about the journey as it is the destination. If there's, if there's one thing I've learned from movies about road trips, it's that lesson right there. Yeah, and I mean... 
sometimes the journey is not always pleasant, but it's usually always miserable, uh, memorable, and <laughs> sometimes miserable. <laughs> sometimes miserable. Yes, we've we've had some of those too. I think you know, besides some of the road trips I did take with family that were vacation oriented, probably the other road trips that are most memorable for me um, were around my college years, and it was. A group of us would hop in a car and we'd have fall break and we'd be like, all right, well, how how far can we go and be back within four days? Those are pretty memorable times when you get that many people in a car. And I mean, there was one trip. This was a Thanksgiving break. And so we were trying to get people to their to their homes. But I think it was seven of us in a big sedan. (laughs) So it was three in the front, like bench seat style, and then four in the back. So, I mean, there was definitely hours of that trip. I was just sitting on the floor. Jeez. It was fun, man. It was good times. You find out real quickly who remembers to put on deodorant, Yeah. who bathes more often than <laughs> others. You, you, you find out those very personal details about your friends pretty quick in, in a situation like that. You find out how many times you can go through 99 bottles of beer on the wall. Yeah, who, who has to use the bathroom like every 30 minutes. But man, we had a mission. We got to get these people home. You know, it's Thanksgiving. Yeah, it, it's, it's like a, not only just a journey, but a, a memory. Even if it's not the most comfortable trip, even if people are, are annoying you, you tend to look back fondly as like, man, that was that was a moment in time that I'll I'll never forget out on the road. Cars definitely weren't our first means of travel, but they were a level up in freedom to go long distances without being restricted by train stations or schedules. And when cars became cheap enough for the average middle-class family to own, it created a new type of American adventure, the road trip. Orlando has long been known as the city beautiful. For in Orlando, there are many flowers and trees made out of sunlight. In Orlando, there are 54 lakes. It is a city of old established customs and huge new industries, as new as the day after tomorrow. Before then, taking any sort of vacation took a lot of planning. You couldn't just pop off to a big city for the weekend or do a spur of the moment overnight trip. It took so much time, effort, and especially money to make a vacation happen that only wealthy people took them regularly. But at the end of the 1920s, more than 26 million vehicles were on the road thanks to cars being more affordable. Families wanted to take these shiny new toys on adventures across the country because for many of them, this was the first real chance they had at seeing the rest of America. I mean, just imagine what it was like at that time. You spend your whole life mostly in one city or town. Cumbersome horse carriages or restrictive trains are your only way out, so you don't use them as often as you could. Suddenly, this affordable machine lands in your driveway that lets your family travel whenever you want with just a little bit of gas. As long as there's a road, you can go. And there were about to be a whole lot more roads. Highways were being built left and right in order to connect our states together. Route 66 was a pretty popular one since it was the shortest path from the Midwest to the West Coast. Our interstate system began construction in 1956, which gave us even more options for driving. 
Even though they make up just under 1% of all American roadways, they're hugely important in connecting our country from coast to coast. Freedom has always been a central tenet of the American spirit. And people could really feel it out on the open road. And soon enough, in the open skies. Swift and safe as birds in flight, giant planes of American Airways are setting the new pace of man's progress. From the beginning of time, man has been the master of his own journey. He chooses the road by which he goes. He steps ahead or he steps aside. Here's the man who steps ahead, the kind of man who gets things done, who knows where he's going and how to get there. The American Airways way. It wasn't long after the Wright brothers' first flight in 1903 when airlines started flying commercial jets full of passengers around the world. As the airline ticket costs came down, more Americans wanted to try out this fancy new way of getting around. In 1944, a little over 4 million passengers had stepped onto a plane. 12 years later, that number grew to 49 million. It's a little hard to imagine now, but many people were more excited about the flight itself than where they were heading to. People would get dressed up like they were going to a gala, and the service on the planes was more luxurious than what we typically see now. It makes me a little jealous, if I'm gonna be honest with you. Like, I really wish there was a way to go back in time and, and, and experience it for myself. Well, there is a way, kind of. Ladies and gentlemen, passengers traveling on Continental Airlines Gold Jet Service to Honolulu with continuing service to Sydney, Australia should proceed to gate 50 for immediate boarding. I hear the announcement as I'm in line for a check-in at a Pan Am Airlines desk. I'm surrounded by fancy dresses and 1970s-style plaid suits and a lot of luggage with no rollers. What are you wearing, Gabe, you may be asking? Well, I'm wearing a full-on three-piece plaid suit. What else would I be wearing? I mean, I'm not going to miss an opportunity to dress to the nines. One of the Pan Am clerks chats on a rotary phone while another manually punches a boarding pass next to them. No, I'm not dreaming or having a flashback to one of my past lives. I'm at the Pan Am Experience in Hollywood, California, a place that has faithfully and meticulously recreated the flying experience of the 60s and 70s. If you're a lover of nostalgia, you've got to check this place out. Anthony, who's put this plane and this experience together, is a stickler for the details. And he's collected everything. Not just Pan Am, but all these other airline paraphernalia and branding. I mean, he's got it. It's the proper word to say Pan Am experience. It's not just dinner on an old plane. From the moment you walk in, Everyone there is already in character, helping you to sort of feel like this is the late 60s, early 70s. You've just walked in and you're at the airport getting ready to fly on Pan Am. And the stewardesses, are, I mean, they're all in. You can't just have a normal conversation with them about something. They're going to be talking as if they're a stewardess for uh, Pan Am and they're, they're prepping you to get on the plane. And I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty fun. And you know, the, the plane is probably one of the most significant pieces to this. Getting on the plane, it will blow you away. First of all, just because it's, it's huge. You're like, well, 
where's all the tiny crowded little aisles where you have to like squeeze past everyone i mean it's not that way at all there's plenty of room even for those not in the first class or the upper deck it feels luxury we just don't fly like that anymore you're given a meal there that would have been served on that plane and it's anything but airplane food it's like going to a, a nice restaurant they put on a fashion show while you were there sort of like showing you the different uniforms throughout the years and over the different airplane manufacturers and companies it's fascinating to see what it would have been like and then also to experience just once again sort of this idea of traveling in luxury And this whole thing started when Anthony Toth found a vintage airplane body and he had some friends over to hang out in it. And since Anthony is an expert on what some call the golden age of air travel, he gave insight as to what made that time period so special. It was considered somewhat elitist to get on board an airplane and you wore your best clothes. Mm. I mean, today, you know, it's not, flying isn't just for the wealthy. Just about anybody can actually afford to buy an airline ticket from point A to point B. Um, so Which is an awesome thing. It is. Affordability is absolutely something that's fantastic about the air transportation system today. But back then, flying was really special. And if I look at the younger generations, um, when they come on board this airplane, can't even imagine that you'd walk on an airplane and it would look like this today when you consider airline interiors of today. The passengers that sat here had the exclusive use of this space and the upper deck. Think about the real estate in terms of an airplane today, how fantastic flying back then was. Yeah. Anthony eventually joined forces with Air Hollywood, which is a film studio with airplane-related sets for movies and TV shows, which is why you've seen some of these vintage Pan Am planes pop up in movies like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And I got a personal tour of Air Hollywood by the owner, Talat Kepton. He created this studio because he was obsessed with airplanes since he took his first flight as a kid and told me about how special those trips were compared to today. How have you seen travel change throughout the years? Well, you know, in, in the old days, we used to say bon voyage. Now we say fly safe, you know, have a safe trip. You know, the journey was the big deal, sure. not the destinations. But right now, it's like people want to get in from A to B, and that's all they care about. If somebody wants to have a really good travel experience to go on a train, to go on the, on the boat, on the cruise. But having to get on the plane right now, it's just like, it's so much stress. It seems like the why we travel is changing just as much as the how. You know, why do you think that is? We travel so much for work on a daily basis. Now it's become just a transportation, just like a car. Our methods of travel drastically changed the way we work and have opened up so many opportunities. Cars made it feasible to live miles away from your job, to the point where it can be easy to take for granted. I've been reminded of this fact several times when my car broke down and turned what once was a 15-minute drive into a two-and-a-half-hour walk. Airports made it easy to travel nationally and internationally for jobs. And for some people, their whole job is traveling. Like Michaela Malozzi, a fellow TV show host who connects with people all around the world through the common language of dance. People may know me from my series on public television on PBS. It's a series called Bare Feet, where in every destination I learn the dance and music. And what I like to say is I make new friends by dancing with strangers. And that's why people see me as a traveler, but also as a dancer. 
Across three seasons and 30 episodes of her show, Michaela has traveled to over 35 countries. So she knows a thing or two about our modern travel industry. So travel has come a long way. What are some more ways that you've seen it change? Airports are fuller. There are more flights. They say that a million people every day are in the air at one time. Did she just say one million people are in the air at just about any given time? A million people every day are in the air at one time. Wow. You have more non-white people traveling, which is incredible. That is a huge shift in tourism um, because it has always been, especially for any sort of advertising or targeting for specific airlines and, and travel products is geared towards that white Eurocentric traveler. That shift has really changed quite a bit. And so that's, that's been incredible to see too. Now that it's easier to travel the world, it's easier to have a more globalized culture and economy. There's a, a lot of debate as to whether this is ultimately good or bad for us. Michaela has experienced some of this firsthand, but also found out that the idea of globalization is more complex and a lot older than we tend to think. Here's the exact definition. I'll read it for you. It says, globalization, the process by which businesses or other organizations develop international influence or start operating on an international scale. And when I read that, I was like, this isn't what everyone is always talking about globalization even in my own head. And so for me to see it this way, globalization has been happening for thousands of years. Sure. The Silk Road is globalization. It is people who traveled from China through India to South Africa, through Central Asia, Persia, through uh, all the way to Italy to exchange goods trade business. On its way came trade of culture, trade of language, trade of food. Where do you think Italian ravioli come from? They come from Chinese dumplings. In the like pure definition of it, globalization has been happening for a really, really, really long time. What I think we are trying to talk about is the access to global cultures influencing each other and almost this disappearance of borders happening today. So tell me one great thing about globalization. Without it, I wouldn't be here. My parents would still be in a little small town in Italy. The spread of the idea of democracy, the spread of the idea of human rights, you know, like <laughs> the French Revolution uh, influencing the American Revolution. And, but there are terrible negative things. At what point do you you know, step off a plane in Uzbekistan and you're right next to a hard rack cafe and a McDonald's and you're like, I thought I was, I thought I left America, right? Of course I hate when I am somewhere and I want to get like a, a beautiful local cup of coffee and there's a Starbucks, you know, and you're like, <laughs> great, you know, like in Bali or something, you're like, right. what is this? The Balinese coffee is like one of the best coffee in the world. Why would you have a Starbucks here? But that just shows the demand of American culture. So the idea of companies spreading too much and erasing local culture can be an issue. If you're staying at a Marriott in, uh, let's say, Guadalupe Islands, Marriott's making most of that money. If you stay at a bed and breakfast, 
uh, and that property, the money goes back to the local economy. So ideally, you want to spend your money in places where the money goes back to the people that actually live there. How do you think it affects our local communities, just, just being present within the community, considering that we now travel so often, right? Yeah. I mean, if, if you have locally owned businesses supporting local communities, people won't want to have to travel further. If there's a local mom and pop little grocer or bakery, then I don't want to drive 20 minutes to Kroger to get the mass-produced bread. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. I wouldn't want to do that. Right. Then these local businesses start opening and then you're like, well, actually, what if I don't commute so far because now there's more to offer to me and my family? Yeah. There's incentive on both ends. There's job opportunity, but then there's also incentive for people to actually put money back into their the local economy. Right. And it sort of feeds itself. Yeah. One of the downsides of globalization and easy travel has undoubtedly been the ability for corporations to set up shop wherever they want. It can be a rich-get-richer situation, where a company has the resources to sustain itself in a smaller community that takes away business from the locally-owned stores. Their advertising budgets tend to be bigger, which gives them better brand recognition, which brings in more people who go with what they're more familiar with, instead of taking a chance on a local place. It can turn into a cycle where the local culture is phased out for a more homogenous one. And so, there's a big debate as to what's actually better for communities. Should we prioritize retaining the history of our cities and towns above all else? Or focus on the money and jobs that can come with big corporations spreading their empire? And how does tourism and trying to appeal to out-of-towners fit into all this? We're recording this in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic. And this debate of global versus local has been put front and center as people have stayed home more. So Gabe, how have you noticed COVID affecting our local cities? Yeah, it's made some interesting changes for sure, specifically within travel. It has definitely made an impact. There's been some real reflection from individuals and noticing like, man, maybe I travel too much. Maybe spending some more time at home with my family, with my local community, thinking more local now. My shopping habits, all the things have changed now that I'm thinking like, well, I don't want to drive all the way to here because of COVID and regulations or whatever. I'm just going to try and do it locally or I'm going to try and do more at home. I was thinking about, for, for example, restaurants. You know, I've, I've been enjoying more places here where I live, uh, about 30 minutes outside of Nashville, uh, compared to whenever I would go into the office all the time and, and eat at some places in Nashville. Sure. Well, now I'm, I'm spending that money more on places right outside my own neighborhood, you know? Yeah. And I probably will do it more often now from, from here on out. I think there's a lot of good local change that has happened as a result of COVID. So I think, I think in that way, it's been, it's been a good reset. And, a good travel change, the, the being invested more in not only your your specific family, your specific household, but your local community. And I, I'm all for understanding a global culture and being and being able to have opportunities to see and travel the world because I think it 
opens people's mindsets, you know, when they understand other cultures, that removes a barrier of fear and things like that. But man, there is so much to be said um, to just invest in your local community. And I, I'm, I'm looking forward to that change sticking. There's a balance, I feel like. I don't know quite what it looks like or where those lines are, but there's a good balance and engagement of the, the neighborhoods that you live in and still putting things out into the world and connecting with people all over the world. Balancing the needs of local communities while utilizing their freedom of travel will only get more complicated from here on out as new methods of transportation are thrown into the mix. High-speed rail is what happens when a train chugs a six-pack of Monster Energy drinks and blasts out of the station. They can move at speeds of up to 220 miles per hour, which is more than three times faster than regular passenger trains. Even though you can find them all around the world, high-speed trains were a little slow to start up here in America. But there are a few running today, with many more being constructed right this very moment. And if that's not quick enough for you, the new Hyperloop system being developed promises to move three times faster than high-speed rail. Imagine to take a capsule like this. Yeah. You take out the air from the tube so there's no resistance. That's Bebop Gresta, chairman of Hyperloop Transportation Technologies. He gave me a tour of their facility so I could better understand their vision of a Hyperloop future. Now you can move the capsule from point A to point B at almost the speed of sound using a tiny fraction of the energy. So what would normally be a six hour trip in the car would only take about 45 minutes with Hyperloop. That's a lot of time we could all be saving in our commutes. And that's a big reason why they're trying to make Hyperloop a reality. It would be an amazing future. When we are not losing half of our life in things that we are basically not efficient, we can unleash our creativity. You know, imagine when you have now four hours available back to you, what you can do. Something we don't think about very often that Bebop pointed out is that a lot of our relationships are based on location, both professionally and romantically. Think about it. I'm single. If she is living in the other side of LA, I'm not gonna date her. We are choosing who to love based on traffic. And so naturally, if you're able to get to the other side of LA in just a few minutes, that opens up your options when it comes to meeting people. That makes total sense. And, and like we mentioned, it's the same for where we choose to work and, and where we build our cities. There's a reason why so many people live within a 30 minute drive of a big city. That's a pretty common threshold for a comfortable daily commute. And if we can move across the land six times faster than normal, that could really change where we build our cities and even how we build them. Imagine to create a new city between Los Angeles and San Francisco that is completely sustainable. It doesn't have all this mess of cars around, but it's completely fully integrated with an Hyperloop system. And now you're 10 minutes from San Francisco and 10 minutes from Los Angeles, but you're in an environment that it doesn't endanger your family and doesn't pollute. So you respect your planet. You're completely silent. You can create a completely new concept of infrastructure. Now that we've conquered land, sea, and air, what's next? Well, naturally, space. T minus 10, 9, 8, 
Seven, six, five. All three engines up and burning. Private companies like SpaceX and Virgin Galactic are working to reduce the amount of money it costs to send people to space. This way, you wouldn't have to be an astronaut to see space stations and planets up close. There have already been successful test flights from these companies, but it's still up in the air as to when the average middle-class worker will get to see Mars with their own eyes. But it's possible that in 100 years, people will be raging about the traffic they constantly run into on the way to the moon. I constantly think about the reasons as to why we travel so much and what it does for us as people. And for me, it comes down to experiencing culture outside of your own local borders, which is something McKellar mentioned too. That's the thing about travel is like you realize we all need food on our table, roof over our heads, clothes on our back, um, you know, love, comfort. And what I like to say too is, you know, everybody needs a little music and dance. Hearing languages that may not be the same as yours, but realizing, wow, this is exactly like it is at home. Seeing how other people live and learning more about the world tends to make us more empathetic and connected to others around us. It can show us that we tend to have more things in common than we think, that the differences between us are often worth celebrating. And whether we're roaming the earth or venturing out to space, it's a reminder that at the end of the day, we're all neighbors. We want to thank all of our lovely guests who are on our show today. We appreciate you taking the time to chat about all things travel. Huge thanks to Michaela Melozzi. You can keep up with Michaela and watch her TV series, Bare Feet, on TravelBareFeet.com or at a local PBS station near you. Thanks to Anthony Toth from the Pan Am Experience and to Lot Captain at Air Hollywood. You can keep up with them at PanAmExperience.com and AirHollywood.com. And if you ever get a chance, I highly recommend you take one of their tours. It's pretty awesome. Thank you, Bebop Gresta, for sharing your passion and insight about Hyperloop. Keep up with their progress at HyperloopTT.com. We'll include links in the show notes to all of these places for easy access. You can watch the Reconnecting Roots TV series on your local public television station, on the PBS app, or stream it on our website. Feel free to rate us or leave a comment on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts, so we can keep the conversation going. You can also listen to the Reconnecting Roots album, where Firekid and Manny McCauley reimagine iconic songs with a modern twist, each song related to a topic on the show. So check it out on Spotify, Apple Music, and other popular streaming services. And now, here's their performance of their travel-related song, Wayfaring Stranger.
Jordan, I'm only going back home. I've seen a shadow gather around me through the path that's rough. The Reconnecting Roots podcast is made possible by the following wonderful people. Our producer, Joel McAfee. Writer, researcher, and my co-host, Ryan Estabrooks. Research for this episode also provided by Larissa Goodlad and Joel McAfee. Consulting by Dave Boyd. Music supervisor and editor, Mandy McCauley. Score, George Polly and Paul Kinsing. Mixed by George Polly. And our executive producers, Frank and Karen Smith. And our amazing theme song, America the Beautiful Reimagined as We're Home by Fire Kid and Mandy McCauley. The Reconnecting Roots podcast is a Lil Dragon and Story Scout Studios production. I like to dance, baby.